0: SECTION ELEVEN OF HOW THE CODEX WAS FOUND BY MARGARET Dunlop GIBSON. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. SECTION Eleven, Second SECOND VISIT TO SINAI. FROM MRS. LEWIS'S JOURNAL. THE STORY OF OUR FIRST VISIT TO SINAI IN THE PAGES OF THE CHURCHMAN FOR AUGUST HAD SCARCELY BEEN FINISHED WHEN AN EVENT OCCURRED WHICH MADE US RESOLVE TO RETURN THITHER WITHIN SIX MONTHS. Our readers may remember that we described a Syriac palimpsest, of which the later writing is a martyrology, and the earlier one the four gospels. As my eyes are not keen enough to decipher more than a few separated words of the latter, I took several opportunities of showing the photographs to Syriac scholars, with the result that no one thought they could be read, until I placed a few of the clearest ones in the hands of Mr. F.C. They were shown by him to professor bensley and the two identified the version as of the same type as that discovered by Curiton in 1842 though with considerable variation in the readings it thus appeared that my efforts had been the means of bringing to light an early text of the gospels which would supplement the Curitonian one and be not without value for the light it might throw on disputed passages a portion of it could be deciphered from my photographs but the rest was only to be seen from the pages of the manuscript itself. The three gentlemen who undertook to transcribe it, and amongst whom I divided some three hundred sixty photographs, Professor Bensley, Mr. Rendell Harris, and Mr. Burkett, volunteered to go with my sister and me on a joint expedition to Sinai, Mrs. Bensley and Mrs. Burkett accompanying us. We spent a few weeks at Cairo, and made three calls on the Archbishop— The first time we went by ourselves, and my sister asked him to allow her to catalogue the Arabic manuscripts in the convent. She renewed her request when we again called to introduce Professor and Mrs. Bensley, and again when we went with Mr. and Mrs. Burkett, adding on the third occasion that we should also like to do the Syriac ones. The result was that he wrote a letter to the monks, telling them that the work of cataloguing was to be in our hands only and that every facility for examining the books was to be given to the party, on condition that we left for the use of the convent copies of the said catalogues in Greek. Mr. Rendell Harris met us at Suez, and we went into the desert on the 30th of January. Dr. Watson had recommended to us a dragoman who was much superior to the one we had last year. Though a Mohammedan, he has always been a protege of the late Dr. Lansing, We were fanned by a cooling breeze, and the road seemed less monotonous than formerly, for it was enlivened by philological discussions, by scraps of song, of wit, and of story. We reached the convent about midday on February 8th, were received at the gate by the bursar, Nicodemus, and conducted to the parlor of Galactaean, the librarian, who now fills the office of hegumenos or abbot. He received us with a cordiality that was almost overpowering, and was directed chiefly to myself. He hardly knew, in fact, how to express his delight. He kept me behind after the others had left, and told me that he looked on me in the light of his mother, that he would be guided by my advice in everything, and that as four of the party were as yet strangers to him, he would prefer that all requests for books, etc., should come to him at first through me. I of course assented to this arrangement, and asked if it would be convenient for us to visit the library in the afternoon. So we returned at the appointed hour, only too anxious to set our eyes again on the dear old palimpsest. No sooner were we seated than the abbot entered, holding up a blood-stained pocket-handkerchief, and displaying behind it a face and head streaming from recent wounds. His tall cap had fallen off, and his long dark hair hung down in a helpless fashion. "'he sank groaning into a chair and exclaimed, "'I have fallen, oh, I am suffering.' "'It was evident that he had been roused to receive us, "'and when only half awake had gone tilt against the door "'of the tiny dark closet which does duty for his bedroom. "'Of course we recommended him to retire to rest, "'and said we would not trouble him about the library till tomorrow, "'but he was determined to show it to us, "'so we were obliged to accompany him thither,' "'he resisting all attempts on the part of the monks and ourselves "'to put a little plaster on his wounds, "'which, though many, were only skin-deep. "'But we knew that he had had a serious illness "'since we were last at Sinai, "'and notwithstanding his pleasant jest "'about passing himself off as my son, "'should he ever visit England, "'he appears to be well over sixty. "'So we were all not a little anxious, "'lest he should have a feverish night "'and delay our friend's chance of beginning work on the palimpsest.' Next morning, Friday, he tottered to what is called the Archbishop's Room, where the Syriac books are kept, and asked me what we wished to see first. I replied, all the books which we photographed last year, and, as I had anticipated, the Palimpsest and the Jerusalem lectionary were both produced, along with some other Syriac books from a cupboard. I at once asked Galactean if he would let me have the lectionary in my tent, as I wished to work at it myself, and if you would let me have the palimpsest to give employment to my friends. Just as you wish, was the reply. Whilst I was examining these treasures, Mr. Rendell Harris held out another Jerusalem lectionary, dated four years later than the one I had discovered, i.e. in A.D. 1120, and which is thus the third one of its kind extant. I carried both, with the palimpsest, to our tents, and it may be imagined that the latter at once underwent a critical examination. Mr. Harris pronounced it to be by no means a difficult palimpsest, but the pages varied greatly in distinctness, and though even I could trace the words, being of their natural size, as I could not do in my photographs, there were many from which the actual ink of the underwriting had faded leaving only faint indications on the vellum from which words could be traced. Add to this that many of the words were covered by the dark upper writing, which was happily of a different color, and that most of it had to be read between the lines, and my readers may appreciate the difficulty of the task which was to be undertaken. However, after much discussion, the three scholars agreed to the following division of labor. Mr. Rendell Harris, to read the first hundred and four pages, Mr. Burkett, the second hundred or more, these included thirty which he had already copied from my photographs, and Professor Bensley, the remainder, together with revising as much of the other's work as possible. The Gospels were already known to stop after page 320, and the rest of the palimpsest writing treats of other subjects, partly Syriac and partly Greek. The day was to be divided into three watches, so that someone might be always at work from eight o'clock till eleven, from eleven till two, and from two till five. But as there was a deficiency of bright sunlight after half-past three, and this made a considerable difference to such work, each separate watch was taken in turns on successive days. The manuscript lay in my tent at night, Mrs. Bensley having made a pretty silk cover for it, and was fetched out soon after daybreak, in order that Professor Bensley might secure an hour's work before the first watch began nor did the coming of darkness bring rest to its pages, for I often sat up till half-past ten to copy some story in the upper writing after Professor Bensley had finished with it. We began our work on the catalogues at once. The monks read their archbishop's letter, and then said that they would never have placed all their treasures in the hands of anyone whom they did not thoroughly know and trust, but that they would most willingly comply with my wish that Mr. Rendell Harris should help me with the Syriac manuscripts, and that one of themselves should relieve my sister from the laborious task of counting the pages of the Arabic ones. So ten or fifteen volumes were carried up at a time, from the various little closets, which are called libraries only by courtesy, and from old chests stored away in the queerest of corners. They lay on the table so that Professor Bensley and Mr. Burkett might have the opportunity of examining them as soon as we did and we spent several hours and days in the often very monotonous task of the necessary counting and describing. I left the copying of titles to Mr. Harris, unless a volume looked like it might prove very interesting, when we searched its pages together. Mrs. Bensley kindly undertook to count pages for my sister, but the Arabic books so greatly outnumbered the Syriac that the monks also came to her aid— and the little drafty room, with its glassless windows, was sometimes filled with some half-dozen of the Holy Fathers, counting assiduously under their abbot's directions. They were always greatly pleased when the contents of a book were explained to them. Mr. Harris's thorough knowledge of church history and of patristic literature proved invaluable in helping us to identify the often strangely-sounding and strangely-spelt titles of Arabic books." I had still another project in regard to the palimpsest, which my friends were one and all reluctant to let me disclose, as they did not know how the monks would take it. I had made enquiries in the manuscript-room of the British Museum as to the best means of reviving ancient writing, when faded, without risk of injury either to the manuscript or to the vellum. I had come provided with four bottles of a very ill-scented composition, from the fumes of which I hoped to be protected by a respirator specially designed for the purpose. For ten days I had to restrain my impatience about using this, but on the eleventh I happened to open a large volume of Mar Isaac's Discourses, which I had known on our former visit, and which contained many pages so faded as to be quite illegible. I asked Galactean to let me restore one of these, with the result that it came up in a brilliant hue of dark green, and he was so astonished that he asked me to paint up the whole volume, then to try my scent-bottle, as it was called, on other hoary documents. How triumphant I felt when he gave me permission to touch up the palimpsest, though only in places where it could not be read otherwise! Professor Bensley at first disapproved of the proceeding. But, as both his fellow-workers gave my brush the warmest of welcomes, he was induced, after a few days, to ask for it himself, and many a blank margin thus became covered with very distinct writing. How many lines were thus restored to the text we cannot well estimate, but in Mr. Harris's portion it might perhaps be a sixth of the whole. Moreover, in difficult passages I was often able to verify the words which one of my friends had deciphered. It was thus that the final colophon came to light, telling that these were the Separated Gospels. The next column probably contains a date, but it baffled all my efforts to bring up more than a few words, and is evidently written with ink which ought to be treated by another chemical. Mrs. Bensley, besides giving some help to her husband and to my sister, found a sphere of usefulness in trying to teach some Bedouin women to knit. There were two poor creatures who had never known the use of soap and water, who spent most of their time sitting with a couple of children outside the convent gate, and whose home was under a great rock. Their condition was apparently not much above that of the lower animals, and they had had no opportunity of learning anything from one of their own sex. The stupid creatures refused to learn, but some men and boys took up the work so eagerly that their kind teacher could not supply them all with materials." The three of us who could speak Greek occasionally got into a religious discussion with the monks, especially Nicodemus, who was very anxious to convince us of the good which ascetics had done in the world. "'These manuscripts would not be here for you to copy,' he would exclaim, if pious men had not retired into the desert to write them. We thought it wiser not to make the obvious retort, viz., that the monks of the last few centuries had quite failed to comprehend the value of what their predecessors had done,' We Presbyterians had rather the advantage over our companions of the Society of Friends and of the Church of England when we were asked if we accepted the authority of synods, but we startled Nicodemus by persistently refusing to acknowledge any mediator except the Lord Jesus Christ in our approach to the Father. In discussions with Greek monks, when one gets to a thorny subject, such as the priesthood, a safe plan is to say something about the Pope— This causes a diversion of their energies to an antagonist worth hitting. The day before our departure a question of mine induced Galactean to take us to the coal cellar and show us a dark prison-hole, or oubliette, to be entered only by a steep ladder. I had no wish to blacken myself, but Mr. Harris went down amidst a shower of farewells in several languages. He found a succession of secret chambers communicating with each other and Galactean confessed to having been once confined there for twenty-four hours, without food, when he had committed a breach of monastic order. Our journey homewards was a remarkably pleasant one. Heavy showers fell at night, and cooling winds made our rides over the waste enjoyable. The only exception to this was a gust of sand-laden wind, which struck suddenly down on us in the wadi Esh-Sheikh, and a storm of sand into which we rode between wadi Kurundal and Sadur. On the last night of our desert journey, three of us hurried on to Ayun Musa after dinner, that we might be in time to catch the Marseilles boat. Never shall we forget the silent glory of the moonlit sands, and the ghost-like shadows of the palm trees, which told of our approach to civilization and rest. We could only regret that we had hitherto made no use of these evening hours for traveling, but it is, of course, impossible to move a camp, after it has once settled to the serious business of dining. It is too soon to tell what the influence of the newly found codex will be upon the canon of scripture the last 12 verses of saint mark's gospel are conspicuous by their absence saint luke beginning on the same page as saint mark ends the greeting of the angels to the shepherds in luke chapter 2 verse 14 is goodwill towards men lastly our manuscript is linked to the curitonian by its colophon which came up under the reviver and which tells us that these are the separated Gospels. The Gospels end on page 320 of the manuscript. The remainder is apocryphal writings, in Syriac and in Greek, which are as yet only partly transcribed. We can only hope that the discovery of an early text of God's great message to the world may lead to an increased interest in Syriac studies, And to a renewed search in Eastern monasteries for further documents which will, like the Apology of Aristides, give us a more intelligent insight into the lives of the first martyrs and confessors. The end. End of section 10. Recording by Hannah Mary at storytime.with.hannah Mary. Come be still.blogspot.com. End of How the Codex Was Found by Margaret Dunlop Gibson